Open up your Bibles then for Sunday school here in 2 Timothy chapter 3. As we continue to look at questions for Christians during perilous times, um, I believe this is part 3. I have to apologize to the to the one who puts these up on Podbean because I don't know if this is part three, part four. We, we've been going for a while, but we're into the part of this study now where we are defining these terms. So I want us to go ahead and reread 2 Timothy chapter 3 so we can see where these terms are used. And we're actually going to start by looking at truce breakers, but we'll go ahead and read the entire chapter. 2 Timothy chapter 3, again, Paul is writing this chapter. The previous chapter is uh, writing to the church of what they need to abstain from and what they need to be strengthened by. And here in chapter 3, he literally talks specifically about the perilous times that shall come. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, which is where we left off last time, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, Traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. Paul almost has to interject here as he's writing to Timothy that of all these things that they're going to see in those perilous times, in those last days, if you will, you've got to turn away. He's, he's literally describing what these perilous times will be like, what these people will be like. And as we talked last time, he's not just talking about the world. He's talking about what the church will allow in from the world. And he says here an encouragement that seems to just dive right into the writing, from such turn away. Verse 6, For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women, laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as the, the wizards of the Exodus time, Janus and Jambres, withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith, but they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men as theirs also was. Verse 10, But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, and at Iconium, and at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And here's the connective tissue for what Paul's writing to Timothy. He's speaking of the perilous times, he's speaking of what will be in the church, what will be out of the church, and then he says, from such turn away. He says why they should turn away. And then he says that they have the ability to turn away because Timothy knows that which Paul had already experienced. Not just that which he'd experienced once, but in multiple places. He says in verse 12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall also suffer persecution. And you could write also there if you want. It's talking about us. It's talking about Timothy. It's talking about those that have been born again in Christ Jesus, and they will suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. 
and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. And I didn't comment on this uh, previously, but we should note here that not all of this is transferable directly to us. He is writing directly in context here to Timothy. And he cites earlier in the writing that Timothy had a faithful mother and a faithful grandmother who did teach Timothy these things from a young age. And Paul is building on a foundation of understanding that he already has and equipping him for what lies ahead. Verse 16, which was what we started this study with, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And here's the purpose, the end result, the profit or the earnings or the wages of such study, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. We begin looking here this morning at the word truce breakers, which we found back in, uh, in the beginning of this chapter, back in verse 3. This is the same word that is translated implacable in Romans chapter 1, verse 31, when we were looking at the, the evil traditions of the heathen world. It's the same exact word. It suggests a people who refuse to make or honor treaties or agreements. So it is pretty self-defining when we hear truce breakers. It means exactly what it says this time around. But I have to draw emphasis on it because this is the same comparison we were making before with Romans 1. Then Romans 1, the writer is defining the world, the heathens, the pagans, those things that were okay by the world, those traditions and those quote-unquote religions of the world were described the same exact way Paul is describing the cautions for the perilous times. Adam was to treat the garden as a temple and that he was commanded to keep it holy. He was commanded to keep a truce, a promise. He was commanded to be faithful. Do we break truces with the Lord? Do we break our word in which we are unfaithful to God? I wouldn't even uh, dare list examples because I'm certain all of us have time and time again. He has more of a, a burden for us than just Sundays, than just Wednesdays. He is to be our God every day, at all times, in every hour, in every situation, in every confrontation, whether it be good or bad. Who do we give honor and praise to? Who do we give thanks to this week for all the blessings that have been poured out on us? And many do it for just that year, but what about a lifetime of blessings? Who receives the honor and the thanks and the praise from the psalms that Isaac read today, from the psalm that we mentioned last week, Psalm 69, I believe, which was the homework, if you recall? Who is worthy of honor and praise? It is God himself and none other. You weren't able to do what you did because you had strength and God permitted it. It's simply because God permitted it or he did not. Well, preacher, I have strength. You know, praise the Lord if you do. Praise the Lord if you do, but it's all of God or it's nothing. And this is a simple fact. Perhaps in pursuit of the traditions of men or just fitting in, we break truces daily. Consider 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 17. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? You talk about a great temptation to break a truce. You yoke up with someone who's not where you are. You're here and you're a believer. Be careful. Oh, surely the devil would not seek to find a way into your home through love. He most certainly will. 
He's done it countless times. He did it in the very beginning. And what communion hath light with darkness? Light has one impact on darkness. It's not to coexist. One drives out the other. If we were to turn off the lights in here, it would be completely black. I assure you have been in here when the lights were out before. It's similar to what it's like in that back corner right now, but completely dark. But when the lights come on, that corner is darker than the rest of the room, but it's lit up. You can see it. You can see what's hiding in that back corner. And that's a good thing down here in the south where we have critters that try to kill you. What concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. When we got, have been going through the Lord's uh, earthly ministry in our afternoon studies, what is it that the Lord did with those temple tables? The ones the, the, that were selling in the temples. And some were exchanging money, but they were doing it corruptly. What did he do? He flipped them over, tossed them out. And when he went back, they were there again. And this is what he does in us as we see the picture here of us being as a temple of the living God. There are also tables set up in us that shouldn't be there. The old song goes that they're trying to still sell from the, temp from the tables that the Lord tipped over. We do this all the time. Sometimes we slap a label on it and say, in the name of starting a conversation, in the name of the Lord Jesus, it's okay for me to keep going into the bars. You want to witness to drunks, maybe catch them before they're drunk. Maybe catch them somewhere where you should be and not somewhere where you shouldn't be. And this applies to every situation. Those tables that he flipped ought never be to set up again. Break them down, use them as kindling, burn them up and get them out. Pluck out that that offend thee, that hinder thee, that causeth thee to run an ill race. When, when a runner is preparing for a marathon, they don't feed the body macaroni and cheese and those delicious caramel apple suckers. They give their body something the body needs. They call it fuel. What the body's going to have to burn cleanly. I'm going to be a little gross here. Isaac and I used to run. And if you eat something that's not good fuel for your body, you ever heard those old cars? We like to call them jalopies. And you get them going down the road, and they're <laughs> runners will do the exact same thing. I know, it's gross. But the Lord designed the body for a reason, to, to, and, and these fuels for a reason. And if you eat bad fuel, you will have bad output. But we're called to run the race as if to win. We're called to don the armor that only protects the front because the back is uncatchable. We're moving in one direction. You ever tried to sit in armor? You ever tried to, to, to eat good fuel and then not use it and see what happens to your body? We are called to be in motion. We are called to be used. We are called to be purposeful in our decisions, in our words, in our actions, in our investments, in our time, in our wallets. It should all be for God, or it be for not. The next phrase that we see here in that same verse, verse 3 of 2 Timothy 3, we see the term false accusers. We're going to go through some of these pretty quickly now. Uh, false accusers. The Greek word here is diabolos, which means slanderers, or yes, literally devils. False accusers. 
we might try to define this word and say, well, that's not even such a bad one. It's not a murderer. It's not a, uh, well, we talked last time about the homosexuals and their involvement in 2 Timothy 3, but certainly this isn't as bad. This literally translates as devils. It's not good. This is literally something to abstain from, according to what we read in Thessalonians. Satan himself is the diabolos, the devil, the false accuser of the brethren. Revelation 12, verse 10. Do we do the work of the devil or the work of the father? These are tough questions for Christians in perilous times. These aren't questions for the world. These aren't questions that I'm going to take to our politicians. These are questions for you, born-again believers. Are you false accusers? Do you do the work of God or the work of the devil? It really doesn't matter to me what you say you do in here. It should matter to you what you do with it out there. How do you live? Coming in this building on Sundays and leaving doesn't make you a Christian. Having a relationship with the Lord, knowing that you just got fed, and that he goes with you as a living God in a living temple to be used, to be exercised. That's a relationship with God. Having him preeminent in every conversation, consider, uh, and I know that the world ran a long way with this, but that WJD, consider what Jesus would do if he was in your situation. Well, I've been cheated. I've been abused. In this world, you shall have persecution. Well, shouldn't I get my revenge? Shouldn't I get the last word? Oh, married couples, Lord help us. Shouldn't I get the last word? Shouldn't I arise triumphant? Husbands, you will never rise triumphant. Be wise and save your relationships. Redeem the time because you will surely lose it if you intend to rise triumphant. It won't happen. Better have good, comfy living room furniture. Beloved friends, this time that we have now is most precious. I think there's, at this point, everyone in this room has lost someone in the last year, year and a half. Not just uh, someone you're associated with, but mothers, wives, sons, brothers, grandmothers. It's been tough. And it's been a reminder from God that we only have so long. We only have so long. And if you already know him, as uh, Brother Joe Collins said in Beauty Mountain, if you already know him and you have a relationship with him and you're born again, why not go in first class? Be a member of the Lord's church. Serve faithfully and willingly and exhaustingly. Lay it all out on the table. This isn't a, a situation where you can take doggy bags home. His grace will be more and more abundant as you're used. You will never find yourself without. These are the promises, the sure mercies of God. Everlasting life. Not it will only last if you save it, if you invest it. It's everlasting life. What if we knew that if, if by using ourselves completely up, we get to go home faster? Man, we'd probably work twice as hard if we really knew what the kingdom was like. If we really had an understanding of what it's going to be like to not be here anymore, to not be suffering, to not be weighed down by the perils of this life. If we've truly endured persecution, we have no desire to stay here. So why wouldn't we use ourselves up? And if he intends to leave us here longer, he'll give us more and more and more grace. We see the word incontinent. And again, if you're looking at 2 Timothy 3 and you're thinking, well, preacher, you're going to end up starting to skip some of these words. I'm 
pretty sure you know what fierce means. So we're going to skip some of these words. But I want to deal with some of these harder words because they're throughout the New Testament. These are warnings that Paul, someone of great experience, is writing to Timothy, who's on the other side of experience right now. He's a believer, but he's got a, a road ahead of him that Paul is trying to encourage him and strengthen him for. Paul is doing for Timothy the same thing that Steve does for me and Clark and Isaac, the same thing that Clark and I are to do for Isaac, the same thing Isaac will do for Raiden and Zebediah. It is the strengthening of the experience for the weak to prepare them for what lies ahead. Ladies, you have the same burden, elder for the younger, preparing their hearts. How does a, a wife become a preacher's wife? They're loved by the brethren. They're edified by the brethren. They're led. They're encouraged. They're strengthened. It's the only way we're going to get there. Beloved friends, those who are in here that have been around for a while, a few seasons perhaps, you have experience that would be experiences that will be of a great benefit to me and Clark. A great benefit. Because we've got tough times ahead we don't even know about. I look at the opportunity to be here where Milburn once stood, the opportunity to stand in pulpits where so many of our Baptist forefathers have stood and, and stood strong for these distinctives and these doctrines. And I'm thankful that they have. They're an encouragement to me. They have lit up. They haven't carved a path. They've lit up and, and pointed to the path of the Lord Jesus Christ and said, that is the way in which we should go. And they didn't say, just ride along in the ditches unseen. They said, get on the highway of holiness. Bear your cross. Die unto yourselves. And live and follow and pursue after the Lord Jesus Christ. That is not the mere calling of a preacher. That is the calling upon all who will follow the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're not doing that, you're not following him. You might see him afar off. We've got a lot of afar off stories in the Bible, do we not? Moses' own sister followed from afar off. Simon Peter from afar off. Jonah tried to get afar off. But there's many, many examples of those who knew the path but followed from afar off. Where are you at as we add to these tough questions? Where are you at? We see the word here in continent, and no, I haven't jumped off track here. This word means without strength. That's the Greek word, akrates, without strength or powerless to do what we know to be right. Powerless to do what we know to be right. If I could ask you to stand up and say, do you know what it is that is right for you to do? And you say, yes, brother, I know what it is that is right to do. And I asked you what keeps you from doing it. You realize that we're without excuse because our strength comes from the supreme ruler of all the universe. It doesn't matter if you have one arm, three eyes, alien tentacles coming out of the back of your neck. If you are his, he has strengthened you to do exactly what it is he's intended for you to do. John the Baptist got strength daily from eating locusts. I'm not telling you to go do that, but I'm telling you God is able. That's the promise we see in Ephesians. He is able. Does he have a use for you? Does he have a purpose for you? Are you doing the very least that you could do to try and tap into such strength? And we see it listed out in the end of this chapter. 
As it starts in verse 10 and goes to the end, he talks about the usefulness of Scripture. So let me ask you, are you growing in your understanding of the Word of God? I'm going to pick on Clark a little bit, if you'll let me. When I first came down here, I guess it was over two years ago now, this poor guy, I, I don't like to read, I don't know the Bible, and even today, I don't know as much as I want to, I don't read as much as I'd, as I'd like to do, but you read more than you did. He knows more than he did. And that's the journey, right? And I say that to encourage my brother. That's the journey. Uh, if Rebecca ever got a chance to get behind this microphone, she could tell you I was not found perfect. Uh, and I'm still a long way from it is probably what else she would say. But doing more today than what I had done before, pursuing after the Lord Jesus because I know that's where I ought to be, it doesn't look like a perfect journey. We can't all be the Tom Brady of Christian faith. We're not out here to be goats. There's only one goat. It was the Lord Jesus Christ. He did it perfectly. Pursue after him. Do you know more of the word of God? Are you growing in your understanding of the word of God today, 11 more than you did 11 when you were praying for us as we went into the hospital to see if the Lord would grant us another child? Do you know more about the Word of God today than you did uh, 30 years ago when Milburn stood behind this pulpit? Not by the credit of any man who stood behind this pulpit, but because you had a desire to read the Word of God? We know that we are to study. This is the incontinent, without strength and powerless to do what we know to be right. We know we are to read the Word of God. Are you incontinent? Are you without strength and powerless to do what you know to be right? If that word does not fit, then do it. Read the word of God. Understand that this is your solemn duty, your solemn service. Your duty and service to this church to help guide this ship. Your duty and service to your family, gentlemen especially, as you lead your homes. How can you lead if you've never looked at the map? How can you lead if you don't know the one that you are leading to? And if you don't know him, you're leading somewhere, but you're not leading to him. Are we serving Jesus and sharing the gospel? As we should. That's something we know that we are to do. But do we do it? This too is something we know to be right. And we're called to do it. But do we? Or do we blend in with the world? Paul's word here for the world is incontinent without power if it fits on us we need to shake free of this shackle because we are more than conquerors we now have no more condemnation we now have no more excuses to not strive and pursue after christ jesus the next word i want to look at is traitors and we're just going right through the list second timothy three now the beginning of verse four traitors this is not speaking of a crooked politician but rather speaks directly of a betrayer of the church of Christ and Christ Jesus himself. It is the same word used to describe Judas Iscariot in Luke 6, verse 16, where it says, And Judas, the brother of James, and Judas Iscariot, which also was the traitor. This is not, let me break this down a little more simply. A crooked, lost politician is not a traitor. He is a rebel. 
He's never been redeemed. He is consistent to the path he's always been on. He's never been given a means or a new nature by which to pursue. So he's not trading against anything. He's doing the same thing he's always done. There's no impact on him because I'm saved, as we went through the doctrines of grace and studied this out. So a traitor is not speaking of one who's dishonest and can't be trusted in politics, or one who's dishonest and can't be trusted as your neighbor here in Mantachi. This is speaking directly to one who is traitor or uh, crooked in their dealings with the church. It's a little more complicated than that, since we don't send the treasurer out to come to your house and say, let me see your tax papers for what you say that you've tied this year to make sure that you're being honest. And we don't send the treasurer out, and I'm just using tithing as an example, to say, I'd like to see your income stub to make sure that you've given exactly 10%. We wouldn't want you to skimp. This is a faith thing, a trust thing. But there's a lot of ways in which you can be a traitor to the church. A lot of ways in which you can uh, take advantage or extort the church that aren't financial. Going around and saying that you are a member of this church when you're not one. Going around and saying that you are a faithful member of this church when we haven't seen you in quite some time. Going around and saying you're a faithful member of this church when you don't serve here. These are dangerous things because one day you and I will not stand together in front of the Lord Jesus Christ. You will stand alone and he will know full and well what you were capable of doing and what you did. These terms are almost eternal proclamations. They won't be discovered here in this life. Some might say, great, I'll never be known. Your sin will find you out. But the true nature of whether you're a traitor or high-minded or a hypocrite, high-minded's next, this will be something you'll answer for at the end, in front of the Lord Jesus. Take what Paul writes here as a warning. It ought not to be so for a Christian, for a member of one of the Lord's true churches. You should have such a love and desire for the church that the world can't pry you away, though they try and they will. This next term is high-minded. It speaks of being puffed up. It also is speaking of a misapplication of the traits of God that have been exercised in our favor, but not by our hands. Consider, if you will, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 6 through 21. And these things, brethren, I have in a figure, transferred to myself and to Apollos, and Paul's writing again here, for your sakes, that ye might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, that no one of you be puffed up for one against another. For who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory? As if thou hadst not received it. Now ye are full, now ye are rich, ye have reigned as kings without us. And I would to God ye did reign, that we also might reign with you. For I think that God hath set forth us, the apostles last, as it were appointed to death, for we are made a spectacle unto the world, and to angels, and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but ye are wise in Christ. We are weak, but ye are strong. Ye are honorable, but we are despised. Even unto this present hour we both hunger and thirst, and are naked and are buffeted, and have no certain dwelling place, and labor working with our own hands, being reviled we bless being persecuted we suffer it being defamed we entreat we are made as the filth of the world 
and are the off-scouring of all things unto this day. I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. For though ye have ten thousand instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me. For this cause have I sent unto you Timotheus, the same that he's writing to there in Timothy, who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. Now some are puffed up as though I would not come to you, but I will come to you shortly, if the Lord will, and will know not the speech of them which are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. What will ye? Shall I come unto you with a rod, or in love, and in the spirit of meekness? It was very, very powerful writing from Paul here. And, and I love both letters that we have in our Bibles to the church of Corinth because there's a lot to be learned there from this church. Um, no church is perfect. No church member is perfect. But there's a stern warning here against high-mindedness. You have nothing that wasn't given. You have no abilities, no strength, no capabilities that wasn't given. But there is something you have that God did not give you. Something that we see way back in Genesis. That imagination that only imagines evil continually. Only aspires for power and credentials and reputation. Which is why Paul writes unto us to be of no reputation. To be a faithful servant, pure in mind. This is the only antidote to high-mindedness, service. If you, and, I, and hear me now, if you have a problem with pride, as the psalmist writes, as it's written in Proverbs, it will lead to destruction. The greatest thing that you can do to battle that pride is serve. Be less than. Serve others who most desperately need what you seemingly have been heavily bestowed with. Give unto others not just financially, but of time. You want to be humbled? Go into one of the senior centers and just listen to other people talk for a minute, which I think might be the problem with most of our politicians. They don't do a lot of listening, and they do do a lot of talking. Hear the hurts of others. Cry with others for a minute. If you can walk away from that proud, you're not saved. If you can walk away from that dry-eyed, and you don't know the, the needs of others. You don't know apathy. And beloved friends, we all need help with this. Every time something goes right, I immediately start thinking, I finally, I've made it. And I get ahead in the banner, get ahead in the newsletters, whatever it might be. I finally accomplished something. And then I get a gut punch later when I get a text from Derek and sometimes Mandy, but you forgot all these other things to get this one thing done. Yeah, I got those texts. Beloved, we need it. We need to be reminded. The, the only things that we are is by the grace of God, or we are nothing. The next portion specifically identifies characteristics that prevent us from the very traits that we are commanded to have. And I'm only going to be able to deal with a couple before we close. And really, I don't think we're going to get too far into that either. But as we continue to go through uh, this letter in this chapter in 2 Timothy 3, we see the phrase, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. This is not necessarily the same thing as pride. 
or high-mindedness. This is simply a mis, uh, a misuse of the blessings of God a lot of times, and sometimes this can come from those things in which he did mean to be a blessing, but we have taken too far. This is something very easily seen in our day, in our day of abundance and... Um, I don't know if consumability is a word. That's what I want to say. Everything's a coffee cup now. Right? Everything is, a, I'm done with the coffee cup, throw it away. Everything is perishable. Uh, Father-in-law and I were talking about how cars are even being made that way now. Just lease another one, lease another one, lease another one. That one's used up too many miles, doesn't have all the technology, doesn't have all the gifts. Get it out of here, get on to a new one. And everything is treated as such. Everything is treated as though it can be tossed away. Are we lovers of pleasure? Are we lovers of the experience of having something new? More than the experience of having something uh, of the most age of all eternity, that being God himself. If you are born again, you are now able to cry out, Abba, Father. You now have a veil that's been torn asunder and free access to the throne, which is way more valuable than that 2019 Toyota. Way more valuable than this Apple Watch that interrupts every sermon that I preach. Way more valuable than your 401ks, your bank accounts, how beautiful your girlfriend and or boyfriend may be. Way more valuable than the most popular, popular Marvel movie. Way more valuable than whatever it is you're coveting in your heart right now as I shoot through this list, begging me not to touch that one. We all have them. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Let me give you an example. The world is caught up in trying to murder unwanted babies. Where do babies come from? God has given commandment on what marriage should look like, on what we should abstain from. And if we loved God more, we wouldn't pursue pleasures we shouldn't have in an ungodly fashion. Do we love pleasure more than we love God? Loving pleasure more than loving God will always lead to waste, will always lead to trouble. Another example, a little bit cleaner perhaps. You cook a home-cooked meal and you feed your family. Have you ever measured the amount of trash that comes from that as compared to going to McDonald's and feeding your family? I know Isaac has. He takes out the trash in our home. You almost have to take trash bag out every time we eat out. You go to a fast food, doesn't matter where, and bring it home and eat. You will fill that trash can. But if mama fires up the oven, cooks something from scratch, you're going to have some dishes to do. That trash can may see nothing. And if, if the trash can's getting food, I'll give you Ezra for a week, and you'll see that won't happen anymore either. He'll take it right off your plate. I want to stop there because it gets long from here, and, I, and we'll revisit lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. But I want you to, to, to have that question in your mind most of all as we approach next Sunday uh, and, Lord willing, concluding this lesson. Are you a lover of pleasure more than a lover of God? And you already have the antidote. If you discover that you are, and you have to ask yourself this question, if you discover that you are indeed a lover of pleasure more than a lover of God... The anecdote of service. Find a way to serve someone who most desperately needs whatever it might be. One who most desperately needs. Go serve them. Go see if you can love God more than pleasure.